Run the Army's race in person at the Pentagon. Army 10-Miler General Registration is now open. Go to Army10Miler.com to register today. General Registration presented by General Dynamics. Register today at Army10Miler.com. Good evening, everybody, and welcome to Carving Up Live right here on Twitter, as well as the Carving It Up YouTube channel and the Grid Network YouTube channel. As always, I am Bryson Carver, wearing my Grid Network hat today, as I do often, but especially considering the fact that this is the last day of uh, of this show, of Carving Up Live this week. Uh, and it is also one of the final days of Grid Appreciation Week, again, celebrating one year of the Grid Network. Very excited to be here on what is a typical Carving It Up NFL season jam-packed Friday show. Obviously going to get into Niners and Giants in just a moment. In particular, the man, the myth, and the legend himself, sturdy Brock Purdy. Still isn't lost. Still is not lost in the National Football League. I'll talk about him in just a moment. Also... Getting into the Vol View, this week's weekend's edition of the Vol View, Tennessee, my Vols take on the uh, University of Texas, San Antonio. Uh, I forgot what they're called, uh, what, they're, what their logo is called. Anyways, we play them this weekend. Uh, that's not as much of a gimme as I initially thought before the season, as crazy as that sounds. And kind of an outlook over the Vols' uh, loss to Florida this past weekend, going to this weekend, getting, uh, you know, kind of a bounce-back opportunity against UTSA. I'll talk about that. Also, uh, Trayvon Diggs, man, some freaking unfortunate news. Another unfortunate injury in the the NFL, uh, Pro Bowl level corner for the Dallas Cowboys, done for the year, torn ACL. Uh, but I do think there is some good news for Dallas, not coming from the injury, but in the aftermath of the in- injury, there is some good news for the Dallas Cowboys moving forward. Obviously, he was a key, key component to what is arguably the best defense in the National Football League. Going to get into Colorado versus Oregon, probably the biggest game of this college football weekend, although Ohio State and Notre Dame would have a, you know, would contend that, but we'll see what the ratings look like. And at the end of the show, Week three NFL predictions, upset of the week, if I were a betting man, and you know what the drill is, Bryson's bleak bet. Very excited. Of course, every other game. So all of Sunday's games, I'll predict on today's show. But first, you know, Brock Purdy is something else, man. In the NFL, through eight regular season starts, he is... I'm undefeated. Never loss. Never loss. LeVar Ball style. 8-0 as a starter in the National Football League and put together a pretty darn solid performance uh, against the New York Giants, albeit on a short week and albeit as a 10-point favorite. We expected the 49ers, most of us did certainly, uh, to win this game and to cover. 30-12 ended up being the final score, but Brock Purdy, over 300 yards, two touchdowns, a complete percentage in the high 60s, QBR 58, which I felt was a bit low, pass rating at 111. He did certainly get help from the running game, which gave him 141 yards. Christian McCaffrey rushed for yet another touchdown. I'm pretty sure every game Christian McCaffrey has been a 49er, he has rushed for a touchdown or scored a touchdown in some way, shape, or form, which is incredible. It is one of the great mysteries, at least in the past month or so, even dating back to last season to a certain extent, but I feel like it's really ramped up uh, now in San Francisco, is the odd questioning of, is Brock Purdy good? Is Brock Purdy the guy to help the 49ers get to and do something that we talk about the Cowboys having a long championship drought? Now, albeit the Niners have been to a lot of NFC championship games, the Cowboys have not. But the Niners have actually, the Cowboys have won a Super Bowl more really more recently than the Niners. So can Brock Purdy be the guy in a you know a great lineage of Niners quarterbacks? Of course, Joe Montana and Steve Young being at the top of that list. Can Brock Purdy be that third guy to to add a Lombardi trophy uh, to this trophy shelf in in San Francisco? 
At this point, if you don't think that to be the case, you're either not watching or you're willfully ignorant. At this point, I don't get it. Because not just from a stat standpoint, like his stats look good. You know, his stats, I think I saw his stat today. So uh, by the age of uh, the youngest quarterbacks ever to throw for 700 yards, four touchdowns, and zero picks through the first three weeks of their uh, of their season. Youngest quarterbacks to ever do that are, are Lamar Jackson in 2019, Patrick Mahomes in 2018, and now Brock Purdy this year. Is Brock Purdy Mahomes or Lamar Jackson? Obviously not. But does he have to be? Obviously not. And it's not just the loaded roster in San Francisco, which speaks for itself. It's why I think they're currently the best team in the NFL and has, has just, just as good of a chance as anybody to not to just get to the Super Bowl, but to win the whole darn thing. It's the fact that what Kyle Shanahan's allowing him to do, asking him to do. you got to realize, Kyle Shanahan is a guy, throughout his time as an offensive coordinator and as a head coach in his NFL life, of course he's a great run designer, which I talked about extensively in the show, but a big reason for that is he loves quarterbacks that can move. Why do you think Kyle Shanahan and... The 49ers went up in the draft, got Trey Lance, because they hoped that, hey, Jimmy G, maybe he, he got us about as far as he could, but there's some mobility concerns, there's some injury concerns. Let's go get the young kid out of North Dakota State. Raw, but really athletic. We can get his accuracy, you know, in order, in check, kind of like the Bills did with Josh Allen and what the Colts are hoping to do with Anthony Richardson. And, of course, it didn't pan out. Trey Lance was never able to get the accurate thing, accuracy thing down, and that's, of course, crucially important to be a successful quarterback in the NFL, even if you have a loaded roster, which the Niners, of course, do. What he has with Brock Purdy is a guy who has, does he have a great arm? No. Is it a good enough arm? Sure. Did you see that touchdown pass to Debo Samuel fourth quarter? Pretty good throw, wasn't it? Jimmy Garoppolo making those throws? Was Trey Lance making those throws? Is Sam Darnold making those throws, the backup quarterback? Haven't seen any of them do that, consistently at least. Is he accurate? Yeah. Can he move? Yeah. Does he turn the football over? No. What's not to like? They open up the play a bit more. I remember reading a stat last season, and you could certainly see it this year, is the fact that Kyle Shanahan has allowed Brock Purdy to do things that he wouldn't let Jimmy Garoppolo do, such as, you know, take shots down the field. Not just that, but attempts. Again, the 49ers are playing a beat-up Giants team with a limited quarterback, no left tackle, no star running back. Giants are missing all these players. 49ers are at home. They've got the you know 10-point favorite at home. Everybody expects them to win pretty easily. And Kyle Shanahan lets Brock Purdy. Kyle Shanahan, one of the most brilliant offensive minds in the NFL, allows Brock Purdy to throw the football 37 times. He, he has many different ways he can get Debo Samuel involved in the run game, especially with no Brandon Ayuk. He can get Christian McCaffrey involved, obviously, in the running game, and Elijah Mitchell involved in the running game. George Kittle, he can get involved, not through necessarily through the running game, obviously, but through little, you know, like screen passes and stuff like that. But no, he trusts Brock Purdy to take shots down the field. Again, from week one, coming off of a, 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 a his elbow basically exploding in the NFC Championship game against Philadelphia just eight months ago, he's allowing Brock Purdy against the Pittsburgh Steelers, taking shots down the field over the middle to Ayuk, to Debo, to Kittle. He did it last week against the Rams, not quite as much, but he did it. And then this week, short week, opens it up even more against, by the way, a Wink Martindale-led defense. And we know how aggressive they can be. So that's, that is the, the pessimism, skepticism, whatever you want to call it, with, with Brock Purdy, I think has everything to do with the fact that it's two things. Is that, okay, if Jimmy Garoppolo, who we all acknowledge is fine, 
if you got Jimmy Garoppolo in your roster, you can win some games. Maybe not depending on the roster around him, but you can win some games. But there's some limitations there. You have concerns about injury. But hey, he won there. He got him to a Super Bowl. He got him to an NFC Championship game. Yeah, he's he's pretty good. He's solid. You know, if if they can, if that can work, then hey, sure, Mister Irrelevant can work. You know, it's the loaded roster in San Francisco that has everything to do with it. Funny, Trey Lance struggled with his exact same roster, but that's another conversation for another day. And the second thing I think the people are concerned about is something that we so often, and it's not just exclusive to the NFL. You see it in the NBA too. I think you've seen it with guys like Steph Curry up until about the last two to three years. Yeah, he can shoot. Yeah, he can handle the ball. Yeah, but he can't. Maybe he's not as great of a score, you know, down low, you know, in, in the paint as we'd like. And you know, maybe sometimes he's not that great defensively, and he's kind of small, so we can never really put him in the best play in the world discussion. And Steph Curry's proven that wrong time and time again. Whether you not think he's the best play in the world, he's certainly in the discussion for it. Now, Brock Purdy's no Steph Curry, of course. Maybe two Bay Area athletes. That doesn't mean they're the same guy, of course. But we're so often enamored with the big arm guy. Remember Jamarcus Russell? Was it 07? Something like that when he was drafted? Jamarcus Russell, one of the biggest arms in the history of college football. Bust. Intangibles weren't there. Attention to detail was not there at all. It is with Brock Purdy. Some of that is the fact that he's got a little maybe Tom Brady syndrome where Brady's drafted sixth round. Again, Purdy is no Brady, obviously. But Brady's drafted sixth round. You know, when you're drafted late round, I heard Shannon Sharp talk about this the other day. When you're drafted late round, you do have to put in more work than the, the than the guys drafted the first round. That's why the first round talents who do work so hard, as hard as the late round guys, they often go on to be all-time, all-time greats. See LeBron James. You know, LeBron James, all-time talent, all-time hard worker. That's a scary sight for opponents to see. But if you are a Brock Purdy and you have the work ethic to the levels that maybe other quarterbacks don't, or you have the intangibles that other quarterbacks don't, so often, again, we're enamored by the stuff we can see with our eyes or look at a stat sheet. By the way, Brock Purdy's had solid stat sheet games, but you get the idea. Instead of just looking at the fact that, okay, is he accurate? Yeah. Is he coachable? Yeah. Is he smart with football? Yeah. Is he, is he mobile? He, he's, he's that. Is his arm good enough? Sure it is. It's better than Jimmy Garoppolo's. Did the coaches trust him? Yeah. At this point, I'm not sure what the... Now, he's going to lose eventually because he's an NFL quarterback, but he's going to lose eventually. I don't know if it'll... I don't think it'll be next week. They play Arizona. The Dallas game is obviously going to be huge in two weeks from now. But I don't get the... We've had a lot of quarterbacks go through that Kyle Shanahan system in San Francisco and not worked. Brian Hoyer, C.J. Beathard, uh, Nick Mullins was a solid backup, but never, ever showed flashes to be a guy, hey, they can win a Super Bowl with him. You know, who knows? Jimmy Garoppolo was good, got him to a Super Bowl, but there were still some limitations there. And Trey Lance was never the guy from the get-go. From a production standpoint, at least. Brock Purdy has been. So why are we... Are we going to punish a quarterback for having a loaded roster? Then let's punish Lamar Jackson. When the Ravens are healthy, of course. Let's punish... Until he got hurt. Aaron Rodgers. Let's punish, years ago, Patrick Mahomes with all the, the, the pieces he had offensively. Again, I'm not saying Brock Purdy is Mahomes, is Lamar, is Rodgers, is even Dak Prescott. I'm not quite sure he's Derek Carr. I mean, you guys know I think highly of Derek Carr more than most, so you get what I'm saying there. But can he put himself in a position to be a top 12 quarterback? You're darn right he can. Can he? Can the Niners win a Super Bowl with this guy? Absolutely. Absolutely. So, again, I it, it, the skepticism, skepticism of Brock Purdy is, it doesn't make sense to me. 
It, it really doesn't. Just because he's not the physical specimen that a Josh Allen is, for example, doesn't mean he can't be successful. I mean, by, by the way, by the way, again, when it comes to being smart with the football, I think we'd all take Brock Purdy or Josh Allen by a pretty, uh, you know, pretty big margin. It just kind of reminds me of, it, it's, remember, I did a segment about this a month ago about Brock Purdy. He was actually carving up the context, which I do every every Wednesday. And there was this this story going around like, oh man, Brock Purdy's throwing a bunch of interceptions at training camp practice. Oh, I don't know if he's going to work. I said, guys, can we just take this into account that A, you try th- throws in training camp, you don't try during games, and B, he just might be playing the best defense in the NFL every single day at practice. You're probably going to throw a couple picks. But when the games actually matter, he doesn't throw picks. Brock Purdy's the man. Brock Purdy is the guy to get the San Francisco 49ers to and potentially win the Super Bowl. Now, I didn't pick them to do that. I think Dallas is going to win the NFC and Kansas City's going to win it all. But would I be shocked if they get there? Of course not. Of course not. The, 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 the Purdy slander has got to calm down. I, I, I don't get it. I really, again, and, and I knew I liked this guy when, of course, he was thrown into the fire against Miami, who was red hot at the time when Garoppolo broke his, I think he broke his foot and played well, got him to a win. But that next game, they played Tampa, who had a solid defense, um, certainly a great front seven. And Brock Purdy, they were trusting him to take shots down the field far more than I ever seen them do with Jimmy or even Trey Lance. And I'm thinking, wow, the trust for a, a, a Mr. Irrelevant is, is amazing. I'm going to roll with Kyle Shanahan that he knows a little bit more about quarterbacks and how to evaluate them than uh, me or you. I'm going to roll with Kyle Shanahan in this one. Brock Purdy played very well last night. Now, in fairness, it doesn't appear to be, through three weeks of the season, that the Giants are a terribly good defense. When last year they were actually, you know, I think they were, might have been the upper half of the NFL. Like, they were solid. They made some plays on that side of the ball. Real quick, briefly on the Giants, listen. Um, we know Daniel Jones is limited. I, I I know there's been a lot of discussion. I remember a couple weeks ago, I think it was Tiki Barber that said, hey, Daniel Jones is better than Dak Prescott. I'm like, buddy, that's your Giants, you know, they, that's your Giants loyalty showing through. There is literally nothing Daniel Jones does better than, than Dak Prescott. Literally nothing. Maybe run, but even Dak is is solid. Not not as good as he was pre-ankle injury. Like that's not even a discussion. Um, I heard somebody else say Daniel Jones is a fringe top 10 quarterback. No, he's not. He is not a fringe top 10 quarterback. Just because he's paid like one doesn't mean he is. This stat about Daniel Jones is kind of crazy. So we get on Kirk Cousins. I mean, every time Vikings have a game that kicks off after seven or eight Eastern, we're like, oh boy, Kirk's going to lose today. Kirk's going to play bad today. There's this narrative, and by the way, a lot of it's earned from Kirk Cousins. Not a terribly great, um, you know, uh, primetime record. Daniel Jones is now 1-11 in primetime. That is, since 1970, amongst quarterbacks with 10 or more starts in primetime, that is the worst record in NFL history. The only guy who's, even within the same ballpark, is Andy Dalton, who is 6-21 in primetime. Daniel Jones is 1-11. And And that's significant because a lot of times, primetime games, standalone game, you're probably going to play a pretty good team. Your Cowboys, your Eagles, your 49ers like last night. Again, there's, and I, do I think Daniel Jones is the starting quarterback in the NFL? I do. I think he's shown us enough to to prove that he is one of the 32 best guys in the sport. But this, 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 you know, notion that he is amongst one of the best is false. 
It's even above the the, the upper half. I've consistently said, even last year, when everybody's you know going crazy over Daniel Jones, I said I'm not sure he's the top twenty quarterback in the NFL. The man threw fifteen touchdowns. We talk about Daniel Jones having this breakout year. He had a breakout year because he stopped fumbling. <laughs> that was that was always his problem since he came in the NFL in 2019 out of Duke. Like, God, the guy cannot hang on to the ball. Props to him. Fixed that last year. Um, but again, he only threw 15 touchdown passes, and that offense was led by Saquon Barkley. Brian Dable is a brilliant head coach. Um, and the Giants, considering the fact they added better weapons, they added Darren Waller, and they added Jalen Hyatt in the draft, I didn't expect him to win. I didn't expect Daniel Jones to play well last night. So I'm not going to bash him for the performance itself. But it's it still goes back to why the Giants made this move. And I hate the franchise tag. I swear to you I do. But why the Giants didn't just go ahead and franchise tag Daniel Jones last offseason and say, like, okay, can you replicate that or even do better than your 2022 performance? The three games, uh, he's been significantly worse by basically every metric. Completion percentage, uh, all of the above. It's, it's not been good. So, Giants are in a rough spot. They're 1-2. and two. Who, Who's their next game? Listen, I, by the way, I expected them to start 1-2. and two, uh, but Even before the season started, I said they lose to Dallas, beat Arizona, lose to San Francisco. Um, they've got Seattle next week on a Monday night, and they have extra time to prepare. Um, I guess that's a long trip for Seattle. The Giants can win that game, but then they got at Miami. That's tough. Uh one of the best teams in the NFL, at Buffalo on a Sunday night. Again, Daniel Jones primetime. Eh, not great. So I'm looking at their schedule. Listen, there's some plenty of winnable games, but against some of the best teams in the league, I, I have serious doubts. I, I, I really do. So Giants could be in a tough spot moving forward. Real quick, I just got this notification on Twitter. And yes, I'm still calling it Twitter. According to Chris Haynes, who is one of the most in-tune uh, NBA insiders out there, we just get a Damian Lillard update every day, but Chris Haynes, who knows Dame personally, uh, says that Portland is refusing to talk to Miami entirely. So, okay, that's that that's interesting. So no no um no conversation between the Miami Heat and the Portland Trailblazers about Damian Lillard. Very interesting. Like I said, Volve you, and of course, feel free to chime in the comment section. I'd love to hear your thoughts on either what I'm saying or what you're thinking in terms of what's going on in, in the NFL, and the NBA, college football, whatever the case may be. Definitely tune, tune into the comment section. We'll get your comment up here, and I'll react to it. But uh, shifting now to another team in the NFL, another contender in the NFL, and in the NFC in particular, is the Dallas Cowboys. Real quick, Volview in about 10 minutes from now. Uh, Tennessee plays UTSA, so very interesting game tomorrow. But... um. Dallas was dealt a pretty tough blow yesterday. So Trayvon Diggs, Pro Bowl level corner, uh, has gotten better every single year since he came out out of Alabama. He's improved, in my view, certainly last year and even in the limited time this year that he got through only two games of his uh, 2023 season, improved drastically as a pure cover corner. Uh, he is done for the year with a torn ACL. He suffered it at practice. I don't. I haven't gotten the information in terms of whether it was a non-contact injury or contact injury, whatever the case may be. But Trayvon Diggs done for the year, uh, just sucks. Um, the good news for Trayvon before I even move to the Cowboys. Good news for Trayvon, and of course thoughts and prayers to him. Speedy recovery, and he hope he's back in 2024 even better than ever. Um, he's 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 a guy. He's probably not even moved in his prime yet as an athlete. And so listen, it'll be of course a tough recovery ACL. But so many athletes have come back from the ACL, particularly guys who are you know at a younger age. So. 
I have no doubt and certainly thoughts and prayers to him um, for his recovery uh, and, and his, his mental state, which I, you know has, has to be tough given the expectations coming into the season. So, listen, I think Trayvon's going to be back next year, but you know, all the very best to him and to his family. For the Dallas Cowboys, of course, this is a tough blow. This is your number one corner. This is a guy who, again, as I've talked about, has improved drastically in, in pure man-to-man coverage. I, I used to, and it looks like I won't get to, to do this this year, but I said any time that he gambled on a play, maybe bit a little bit. He did it in 2021 a lot. Did it some last year, not as bad. But he, he, bited, a, he bited a play here. Try and get an interception, give up a, a big play down the field, and I'd sing one extra line every time he did it of Kenny Rogers' song, The Gambler, because that's what I call him. I call him The Gambler. He, he gambles at times. Uh, but it's part of what makes him great. It's like the blessing and the curse. And so, again, the good news for Dallas, though, thank God if you're Jerry Jones, and I've been critical of Mr. Jones, but the man has had a solid offseason, aside from drafting Mozzie Smith in the first round. It was a horrible pick. But the point is... You traded for Stephon Gilmore from the Indianapolis Colts, a team that's in complete rebuild. They're going to try and get some picks, you know, in terms of giving up their some of their 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 star uh, veteran players. You're seeing them potentially doing it right now with Jonathan Taylor. Jerry Jones gets Stephon Gilmore, who just a few years ago, or four years ago rather, in 2019, that may feel like forever ago, but 2019 with the New England Patriots, Mr. Gilmore won Defensive Player of the Year. Last year had an excellent season with the with the Indianapolis Colts. Had a few interceptions. So he's fully capable of being Dallas's number one. Reportedly, according to Jane Slater, to Clarence Hill in Dallas, um, Deron Bland, who's their nickel corner, is going to move now outside as their number two. And they're going to move Jordan Lewis into the slot where he's you know normally comfortable. So Dallas, if, if there was, obviously you don't want to ever lose a player, particularly a star player due to injury. But if you were to lose one at any position, Dallas would probably choose corner. Because they're that loaded, they're that deep at that position. However, I was thinking about this. If Deron Bland isn't as comfortable outside as he is inside uh, of that defense, if it doesn't work quite as well, because obviously Gilmore being your number two was scary, that's obviously off the table now. If Bland doesn't play particularly well on the outside and he needs to be moved back inside, Jordan Lewis is too small to be to be you know your number two corner. Dallas, and Jerry Jones in particular, because of a good move he made, and I give Jerry credit where it's due. Remember Jerry just so happened to trade for a coveted third-string quarterback who used to play for the San Francisco 49ers? His name happens to be Trey Lance. Couldn't Jerry call one of these organizations and say, hey, you know, I, I like a Minnesota, for example. Minnesota, if Minnesota loses this weekend to the Chargers, they're done. To start 0-3 is basically a death sentence in the NFL. It's darn near impossible to make the playoffs with an 0-3 start. Uh, and, the, and Minnesota defensively hasn't looked great. Again, I'll predict their game against the Chargers later. Say for the sake of conversation, they lose to the L.A. Chargers. And Kirk Cousins, who's on the last year of his deal, the Vikings look to move. Because they're like, Kirk's probably not going to stay. We're probably going to go after a quarterback. It's the very reason I said, hey, the Niners, I think, should have conversations with the Vikings before he was traded to Dallas to trade Trey Lance to the Vikings. Why? Well, Trey Lance has ties to Minnesota. I believe he went to, uh, to he played high school football there. Uh, you've got the situation where you have Justin Jefferson, you have TJ Hawkinson, you've got a solid running game, solid offensive line. Uh, Jordan Addison, the kid out of USC, looks like the real deal. You got the pieces, good offensive coach, and Kevin O'Connell. Like, you've got the pieces to say, hey, let's try Trey Lance out for 10 games. 
He gets a 10-game tryout. We've got the, the small sample size in San Francisco, but this is now year three for Trey Lance, which is typically a prove-it year for young quarterbacks if they haven't proven themselves yet. We put him in the starting lineup. We put him amongst these playmakers we have. See what happens. If he shows up and shows out, great. We build around him. If not, okay, no harm, no foul. We draft a quarterback. Like, it's a win-win situation for Minnesota. And for Dallas, could they nab one of their corners, potentially? One of their number one or number two guys to put in the outside? Opposite Stephon Gilmore, put Bland back in the slot? Now, if Bland works out perfectly, great. You keep your trade asset, Trey Lance, and you potentially move him at the deadline. I've said for Mike Evans, but the way Baker Mayfield is playing, it doesn't look like he through two weeks. It doesn't look like that'll be the case, but... It's obviously a brutal blow for, for Trayvon Diggs. It's a brutal blow for Dallas. But the fact of the matter is, again, I think because of their depth at that position, I don't think that, I'm not going to say their defense isn't going is to miss a beat because he's a great player, um, undeniably. But I think they can still be the best defense in the NFL. I really do because it all starts and ends with Micah Parsons. And what I mean, I've talked about for, you know, throughout this week, and I think most would agree with me that today, whether or not you agree Micah Parsons or my man TJ Watt is the best player in the NFL, regardless of what your opinion is, I'm sorry, the best defensive player in the NFL, I think it's those two and it's everybody else. With respect to Bosa, both Bosa's, by the way, Garrett, Sauce Gart, whoever, Fred Warner, it's those guys and it's everybody else. Those guys can literally impact the outcome of football games. So Dallas, they still got that guy healthy. Knock on what he stays healthy. Micah Parsons still got Demarcus Lawrence. You still got uh, Sam Williams. Actually, I don't know if Sam Williams is there right now, but you got uh, good corners. Linebackers are solid. Dan Quinn is a brilliant defensive coordinator. Dallas is fine defensively. Now, had this been like CeeDee Lamb or somebody, I'd say, oh, they're, they're in bad shape today. If CeeDee Lamb, God forbid, God forbid, knock on wood for him, tore his ACL. Now Dak has Brandon Cooks, Michael Gallup. Like he's kind of back to square one in terms of what he has to work with. I remember that 2018 season, the weapons were atrocious until they traded for Amari Cooper. Like, Dak has to have CeeDee Lamb healthy. The Cowboys have to have CeeDee Lamb healthy. Otherwise, they have no number one, and they can't go anywhere because they won't be able to score it consistently. Prayers for Trayvon Diggs. Hope he gets better soon. Uh, hopefully he comes back in 2024 better than ever. God bless him that he got his contract. Was it, was it five years? About $100 million, something like that. So, he got paid. He's financially secure. He's good, which is great. Uh, and Dallas is deep at that position. And if they don't love where they're at after a few weeks, trade deadline, I think, is Halloween, if I'm not mistaken. You move Trey Lance. You've got a great trade asset. You move Trey Lance for a corner to a team that could, you know, would like to try him out uh, to start this uh, or for the second half of the NFL season. But uh, Dallas is still, to me, in very good shape if not great shape. I still think they're the third best team in the NFL with a strong argument to be, to be the best. And I still have them getting to the Super Bowl. No question. But I saw that yesterday. I'm like, oh my, you gotta be kidding me. Like, you lose Aaron Rodgers. NFL loses Aaron Rodgers in week one. Nick Chubb in week two. And then just three days after Nick Chubb going into week three, we lose Trayvon Diggs. It's like, man, these, these, these injuries gotta stop, man. Uh... Interesting. So, Jamar Chase, real quick. This is from, I want to get the source right, Jay Morrison, who covers uh, who covers the Cincinnati Bengals, and he, he just put this video on Twitter that Jamar Chase was interviewed, superstar receiver for Cincinnati. He was uh, Jamar Chase was asked by the media today if he believes Joe Burrow has been playing at 100% this season, and he said, quote, I doubt it. Chase then had to say, 
Uh, Chase then said if he had to guess, he'd say Burrow wouldn't be playing on Monday Night Football against the Los Angeles Rams. Very interesting. So I, I didn't figure Joe Burrow would play, given the fact that he re-aggravated his calf. Uh, Cincinnati was about a six-and-a-half-point favorite in that game about 10 days ago. Last I checked, again, I'm not predicting that game because that's on Monday night. I'll predict it then. Cincinnati's now a three-point favorite. You have to believe that that's going to drop precipitously. Uh, no doubt about it. Real quick, and last thing on Trayvon Diggs before I move on to the ball view. Because I saw this, I'm like, this, this guy's unbelievable. So... And I've criticized this guy in the past for the record. But Bart Scott was on ESPN today on First Take. And they were talking about the Trayvon Diggs injury and Ryan Clark, who is amazing on television, is awesome. Love Ryan Clark and has a great podcast too. But Ryan Clark spoke, gave his thoughts on Trayvon's injury, and then they moved to Bart Scott. For those of you who don't know, former linebacker in the NFL, now works for ESPN. And he went at Tray. He didn't go at Trayvon Diggs per se, but he said, "Hey, it's like Stephen A. Smith says: what can go wrong will go wrong with the Dallas Cowboys." And then has like a smirk at the end, as if he was like proud that he said that. And Stephen A., who I secretly secretly believe is a closet Cowboys fan, as much as he, you know, talks about them. I, I think Stephen A. likes the Cowboys, honestly. Anyways, but Stephen A. said, "Nah, this is not the time for that." Like, the man got hurt. It's a season-ending injury. I'm not joking about that. Like, that's not that's not what Stephen A's talking about with what can go wrong will go wrong. It's more like they'll screw it up, a bad call by McCarthy, or Dak will throw picks, or whatever the case may be. Uh, it's not injuries. You don't joke about injuries. And so, listen, Bart Scott's the same guy that said uh, that he blamed T. Higgins for the hit on DeMar Hamlin that left him in, you know, in, you know, so where he suffered cardiac arrest, he blamed T. Higgins for the hit. It's like, bro, that's a routine hit. Why, why you blame a guy? He also said in the past that there should be a bounty on Joe Burrow. Like this is this is the kind of it's 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 ridiculous. It's, it's ridiculous. I mean, the, the guy's acting. And Micah Parsons went at him on Twitter, rightfully so, defending his teammate. More importantly, Stephon Diggs, of course, star receiver with the Bills, brother of Trayvon Diggs, went at him on Twitter, defending his his brother, his little brother. So uh, that was a. Uh, yeah, that was the typical, typical, honestly, uncalled for comment by um by Mr. Scott. That was completely out of bounds. No doubt about it. Completely out of bounds. Um, okay, so let's see, is it time for the ball V? Okay, there we go. We just hit the uh, half hour mark. So introduced this segment three weeks ago, every Friday at 6 30 Eastern, 3 30 Pacific time, uh, on carving it up live. I introduced uh, the Vol View. So I'm a big Tennessee fan. You see the helmet. Let me put the helmet in a better angle here. There we go. I'm a big Tennessee fan. You see the basketball back there. See the mini helmet back there. Lifelong. So uh, it came up. I actually was talking to my mother about this. She had the idea. Barry Grant Jr., the co-founder of the Grid Network. He uh, he also, he and I talked about it. So it's like, you know what? Let's do a Tennessee Vols segment. I'm very passionate about my Vols. So without further ado, this week's edition of the Vol View. And here we go.
time in Tennessee. And welcome to this week's edition of The Vol View live here in Carving It Up. So, uh, before I even get into sort of my outlook for Tennessee and this sort of my big take for this segment going this week uh, where they happen to take on the University of Texas San Antonio Roadrunners. So I, I, I checked my notes real quick as that video was playing uh, to see, like, I forgot what they're called, the UTSA Roadrunners. So there you go. So uh, as for Tennessee, and I sort of touched on it on Monday's show, but I still had a bad taste in my mouth, still kind of do from that game against Florida last week. So listen, Vols lose 29-16 to 16 in the Swamp. I have come to the conclusion that they they are officially cursed there, as if I didn't already know that before subconsciously, but I had to come to that at, at some point. So, listen, Tennessee struggled to to generate big plays in the passing game in large part because they really didn't commit to throwing the football down the field whatsoever. Uh, and, and listen, I love Josh Heupel. He's the man. He is he is, he is is the guy to get Tennessee back to relevance, and I think potentially sometime in the future, maybe the next five years, maybe Maybe just maybe deliver a second straight or second straight a second uh, national title game uh, uh, appearance and win you know potentially for my Vols. Anyways, I can dream, can I? But listen, Tennessee last week against Florida struggled badly. Uh, pl- uh, plays in the passing game, struggled to protect the quarterback, protect Joe Milton, uh, which is sort of we'll get to in just a moment. Uh, and then defensively struggled badly against Florida in, in their running game. Florida ran for 183 yards. Uh, something else too that plagued Tennessee was uh, they only had one turnover, but they had 10 penalties to Florida's five. And Florida's five penalties went for 30 yards. Tennessee's went for 79. Uh, a lot of undisciplined penalties, jumping off sides on fourth and inches. You know, Florida, uh, anytime they took shots down the field, you had maybe a pass interference. Was it a well-officiated game? Not in the slightest. But that's been a problem all around the SEC, as we've seen uh, by some recent investigating. So it's not just a Tennessee thing. It's an SEC thing. The point is, though, and something that concerns me a lot, not, not a little bit, but concerns me a lot in terms of my hopes and dreams for this Vols season. Because is the season over? Of course it isn't. The beauty for Tennessee is that the top of the SEC, the contenders, your Georgias, your LSUs, although LSU looked pretty good against Mississippi State last week. Alabama, a lot of people were high on. I wasn't. Not shocked from what I've seen thus far from them. But the top of the conference doesn't look particularly um, stacked, to put it mildly. But I saw this stat, I think it was yesterday, regarding Joe Milton and it scares me to death. This is from Ryan McChrystal, who's a great analytics guy on Twitter. I strongly suggest you follow him. He says that when facing pressure, Tennessee's Joe Milton has generated negative one EPA or worse on 58% of his snaps. That's the worst rate in the FBS. So essentially Division I college football. So simply put, Joe Milton struggled against pressure. And that is something that we talk, we talk about, uh, you know, I was talking about Brock Purdy earlier about how physically he's not going to blow you away. Uh, size, arm isn't off the charts, but he delivers the little things and even the little big things, be it accuracy, be it good intangibles, be it mobility. Joe Milton provides a lot of good things in terms of the tangible things, the things you can see, the fact that he might just have the biggest arm in college football. The problem is, and I love Joe, I think Joe's a great kid, um... Transferred to Tennessee in 2021, actually was the starter until Hendon Hooker replaced him two weeks of the season when they lost to Kenny Pickett and the Pittsburgh Panthers. <sighs> Milton does not have near the intangibles that Hooker did, despite having more talent. Hooker was actually pretty good against pressure. Stood in the pocket, delivered tough throws, could move, and had the at least had the awareness to move in and outside of the pocket. Again, both guys are mobile. Milton kind of panics, particularly, again, as this stat mentions, against pressure. 
Some of that is the fact that Tennessee did after lose did after all lose Darnell Wright, who went tenth overall. I think it was tenth overall to the Chicago. No, sorry, ninth overall to the Chicago Bears. They also happen to not have Cooper Mays, their starting uh, center, who's excellent for him, uh, for us last year. He's been out to start the season. Not quite sure if he'll be back tomorrow. So two of your last uh, two of your starting offensive linemen from a year ago gone, not playing. One's not coming back because he, he's in the NFL, and one's been injured. Now, again, from a play-calling perspective in defense of Milton, didn't love what Tennessee did. Again, not really. In the rare instances they did take shots down the field, whether it was to Ramel Keaton, whether it was to Deontay Thornton, they got some big plays in the passing game. To Brew McCoy as well. Brew McCoy caught a late fourth-quarter touchdown to make the game somewhat interesting. So that's something that is that Tennessee's going to have to. I'd like to see a little bit tomorrow against UTSA. Tennessee's got a big game next week against South Carolina at home. It's a night game at Neyland. The place will be going crazy. We know how that goes. But as for this matchup against uh, UTSA, listen, the Roadrunners, kind of a cool name, I'm not going to lie. The Roadrunners uh, in this game, again, they're 1-2 and two, uh, for the first part of this, uh, their season, lost 17-14 to Houston, 20, uh, then they beat Texas State 20-13, to and then lost to Army 37-29. to By the way, in that game uh, against Army, who we know obviously runs a lot of triple option, Army ran for 254 yards. So obviously UTSA struggles to stop the run. Again, the game plan I would like to see from Heupel is develop the run game, establish the run game, which is one of the few things they actually did well offensively against Florida. Guys like Jabari Small, Jalen Wright getting involved, although I'd like to see more of Dylan Sampson. But Tennessee's got a two, potentially three-headed monster at running back, running the ball up the gut, runs to the outside, creative plays uh, to get that involved. Tennessee, even last year, was good in the running game. And once the defense once the defense kind of loads the box a little bit, that's when you take your shots to Ramel Keaton. That's when you take your shots to Scroll White or Deontay Thornton or the occasional shot to Brew McCoy as well. So that to me is what, listen, Tennessee's a 21 and a half point favorite. I'll go and put up the final score uh, right now. I got them winning 34, I'm sorry, 38 to 14 uh, over UTSA. I think that's gonna, this is going to be a game that you know comes down to the wire, or not comes down, comes down to the wire, uh, rather. I was looking at a different game. I apologize. Uh, but I think this is going to be a game Tennessee gets out uh, the gates early, takes an early lead, uh, and takes advantage of the fact that Colorado is, I'm just Colorado, that uh, UTSA um, is, listen, a limited team, different conference. We understand how that goes. Neelands can be a bit overwhelming uh, for teams coming in. Vols haven't lost at Neelands since 2021. Hope to continue that streak going and get to 3-1. and one. Again, Vols at 23rd ranked in the country. Hopefully a convincing win would bump us up maybe a spot or two. Again, UTSA isn't going to exactly be something that Tennessee looks at in their resume and be like, hey, that's our signature win. I certainly hope that's not the case. I certainly hope that's not the case. Otherwise, we had a pretty pretty bad season. But listen, I think Tennessee gets the job done. 38-14. Joe Milton has a bounce back game. Uh, and the Vols get back on track, get to 3-1 and one going into their home opener, home SEC opener, rather, against South Carolina to kick off the a pretty rough uh, schedule for the next few weeks. So after UTSA, it's not smooth sailing after that. South Carolina, and you say South Carolina is 1-2. Listen, I have PTSD from that game last year. South Carolina dropped 63 in our heads when uh, when Hennon Hooker went down for the season with a torn ACL. It was a bad, bad night. Not from a man, Grady Edwards. Grady's a big South Carolina fan. Shout out to Grady. But it was a great night for him. It was a terrible night for me. Terrible night for me. It ended our college football playoff hopes. It was a bad night. But Tennessee's got South Carolina after uh, this game against UTSA. Then home against A&M at Alabama, at Kentucky. Uh, there's a bye week sandwich in there somewhere. I think it's after the... 
It's after the South Carolina game. So they get a bye, then they play Texas A&M. Then they play UConn for homecoming at Missouri, who just beat Kansas State, so they're no scrub. Uh, They're 3-0. Home against Georgia, the number one team in the country, and then home against Vanderbilt. So so the schedule is, as typical of the SEC, is not exactly uh, something to to laugh at by any stretch of the imagination. But I think Tennessee gets the dub tomorrow. Once again, put up the final score, 38-14 over UTSA, gets the W, uh, and moves to 3-1 and gets the season right back on track. So a little bit of a briefer briefer uh volume but is briefer a word i don't know i'll have to think about that maybe i have to do a google search whatever point is a more brief volume once again bryson carver until next week hopefully coming in here next friday at three and one i'm certainly assume that we will that is it for this week's edition of the volview take us home tennessee and take us home the late great john ward I just did a Google search real quick. By the way, thanks for those who tune into the ball view. Again, about to predict Colorado and Oregon. By the way, give give an overview of what is going to be a stacked weekend of college football. Like, this is one of those weekends where the college football slate of games might be just as good, if not better, than the NFL games. Doesn't happen much, uh, although hopefully with NIL and with conference realignment, that won't be the case, but... Real quick, just Googled, briefer is a word. I don't know, my brain just shut off there. I'm like, is that a word or not? Briefer, just for those who are are curious, uh, according to Google, is a person who presents detailed information and offers instructions to someone, uh, uh, especially in preparation for a task. Okay, so that's actually talking about, uh, that's not using that word in the context that I was using it in. Okay, so I don't know. I guess we're, I'm going to do some more research about this. Along with my college homework, I'm going to have to, I'm going to have to look at that. I don't know. I'm, I, 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 want, I want to always give good grammar on the show, okay? My, my mother is, she has instilled it in me. I know she's listening. Shout out to you, Mom. Uh, you are a, she is not only a grammar savant, she is also to a certain extent, and I love her for it, the grammar police. And so I've, I've kind of had a little bit of that instilled in me, like, okay, I got to get the grammar right. Uh, I don't want to, I, I want to sound good. I put the commas in the right place. I saw, by the way, I'm so totally getting off track here, but Patrick Mahomes, then we'll get to Colorado. Patrick Mahomes was, at, I think it was when Aaron Rodgers went down with the Achilles. And let me pull up the tweet because Mahomes had a grammar situation and he fixed it, which props to him. Um, let me pull up the Mahomes tweet because it was—I think it was when Rodgers went down. Let's see. So this would have been this would have been last week or a couple weeks ago. Okay, so Mahomes uh, tweeted talking about Rodgers. Hate that man. Dot dot dot. Praying for the best. That's what it said. No commas. No. And then Mahomes went back and edited it and said, hate that, comma, man, dot, 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 praying for the best. 
As it turns out, Merriam-Webster's Twitter account responded to him and said, proud of this edit. So, listen, I'm a sucker, and bad grammar drives me insane. So, like I said, I, I want to I, I want to sound good on this show. I want to, if there's anything, listen, you're never going to have the perfect show, although you want to try and it, it get pretty darn close to it. But if there's anything I do not want to mess up on, it is grammar. It is. I do not. That 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 drives me crazy. It's 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 just in. It's ingrained in me. I can't help it. Okay, I can't help it. Real quick though, before we get into Colorado, sort of moving back into back in bounds with what we were talking about on the show. Um, again, this weekend of college football is about as good as it gets. So you've got a game that was supposed to be huge, but isn't as big given how poorly this team has looked. But you got Florida State at Clemson. How about Clemson under Dabo Sweeney as a home dog and unranked? For the record, they deserve both. No question about it through the first three games of the season. But FSU's a two-point favorite. I'll take Florida State uh, to get the W. Jordan Travis uh, had a, a rough second half last week against Boston College when the Seminoles nearly got upset. Florida State will bounce back, or not bounce back, bounce back in terms of performance-wise, particularly in the second half, get the dub uh, at Clemson. Let's see, Oklahoma-Cincinnati's an interesting game. Uh, Colorado-Oregon, which I'll get into in just a moment. Uh, you got UCLA-Utah. I like Utah. I like their head coach. And I like the fact that their quarterback's first name, uh, although, although they've switched quarterbacks out, but they got a quarterback in the roster named Bryson. So I'm going to go with the Utah Utes to win this game. They're six-point favorites. I don't know if I'll cover, but I'll take Utah to win. Ole Miss, Alabama is the 330 game on CBS. Bama's a six-and-a-half-point home favorite. I'll give Bama the W because Saban tends to kind of own his, his former uh, partner in crime on the offensive side of the ball, Lane Kiffin. I don't know. I don't know. Listen, I haven't bought an Alabama since the beginning, but I said they'd lose to Texas, they'd lose to Tennessee, and they'd lose to LSU. So I'm going to stick with that. They'll beat Ole Miss. What else we got? We've got Oregon State, Washington State. Clay Thompson played it. Actually, you know what? Oregon State's playing pretty well. I'll go Oregon State on the road. And let's see. Oh, Iowa, Penn State. I got Penn State big. They're 14.5-point favorites. I think they should be more like 17, 18.5-point favorites. Uh, Penn State's defense is outstanding. Their offense is finally, at least appears to be elite for the first time ever since Saquon Barkley went to the NFL. I'll go Penn State. And uh, again, the big one, the, the nightcap on NBC, Ohio State, Notre Dame. Ohio State's a three-point road favorite. John Rivera, my man, Fan Perspective Podcast, is going to like this. I'm going with the Fighting Irish. I'm going with Notre Dame to win this football game. Since it's a big game, i got to give a score. I'll go 35-31. Uh, Notre Dame wins it. Sam Hartman is a heck of a quarterback. Again, in a college football that I don't know if we've ever seen this many awesome quarterbacks at one time, You know, especially in the Pac-12, Sam Hartman's probably going to end up being a second or third rounder. In most years, he'd probably be a late first rounder. He could end up playing himself in that spot, but he's playing unbelievable football. Uh, the new coach in, in Notre Dame does a spectacular job. So, uh, yeah, I'll go with uh, I'll go with the Fighting Irish to get the W. I've got Notre Dame winning this one. Uh, again, like I said, getting my Oregon and Colorado game uh, together. A little graphic again. We we want the show to look good. We want it to be uh you know nice and presentable here on the on live. All right, here we go. Just downloaded the image. Okay, just just download the image of Colorado and uh, Oregon. So 
You know what? This, this is a big enough game. I should probably put some background music on. So I, might, I might actually do the intense background music. Do we have it? Okay, I think here it is right here. Okay, so Colorado's, uh, Colorado's playing on the road against Oregon. This really is their first big test. I mean, like, this, this, these are the type of games that could decide potentially if guys win trophies or not. Talking about Shador Sanders potentially winning the Heisman Trophy. Uh, these are the type of games where you've got Deion Sanders, who's we understand what he's done in terms of changing the culture. What he's done, by the way, just as a pure coach uh, of this program, has done a spectacular job. Um, and Oregon comes in, of course, with Bo Nix, who's potentially in the Heisman race as well. Uh, Oregon comes in sporting one of the better defenses in the conference. Uh, Bo Nix, by the way, potentially is an NFL first-round pick, certainly a potential top-ten pick. I'm not quite as high in him as I am guys like Penix, May, who I, has, I know hasn't played great, but I still like May a lot. And, of course, Caleb Williams is the man, the myth, and the legend. And Shador Sanders is, is no slouch. I think he's the third-best quarterback in college football. So, <laughs> Oregon is a 21 Point favorite at home. Now, neither team has a crazy resume, although I would give the edge to Colorado given that they have a road win at TCU um, against, at the time, 17th ranked TCU on the road. But if you look at Colorado, okay, they beat TCU on the road. They beat Nebraska. Nebraska's not very good. And they got 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 by Colorado State by the skin of their teeth. Uh, evidently, the AP wasn't terribly impressed because they dropped Colorado a spot in the polls. In the, in, the, in the rankings. Oregon State, on the other hand, again, their resume is not near as impressive. I shouldn't say not near as impressive. Not impressive at all, really. They have a win against Portland State, albeit they pulled a Kobe Bryant, God rest his soul, and scored 81 against Portland State. Barely escaped Patrick Mahomes' alma mater, Texas Tech, who's terrible in the Big 12. Barely escaped by eight points against Texas Tech. I had to, had to have a big-time second half in order to do so. And then they took care of business against Hawaii, 155-10. to 10. So neither team's really been tested. Here's the things. There's a lot of things that concern me about Colorado uh, coming to this matchup. Um, first and foremost, Travis Hunter is out, potentially for the next few weeks. With, I think, it, what was it, a, a lacerated... Gosh, I forgot. It was some kind of... It was a bad injury to the dirt, the dirty hit to the stomach that he took last week uh, from the Colorado State uh, defensive back. Uh, took a brutal hit there uh, in that sensitive area. So uh, he's out for the next at least three weeks. He's probably the best player, overall player, on Colorado with respect to Shador Sanders. Um, as for, though, the weapons that he does have, talking about Shador... Now, Travis Hunter's out, and Travis Hunter's kind of the Shohei Otani of college football in that he's a starting quarter and a starting wide receiver... But Shador Sanders still does have Dylan Edwards running the football. He still has the kid uh, Horn, uh, who's obviously the, the son of, of the former NFL wide receiver. So he's got him. He's got Weaver, who I really like. is kind of a possession receiver, good route runner. So the, the pieces are still there. The, the, the wideouts are still there. As for Oregon, something I think they could potentially, and matter of fact, I think could expose, has a very good chance of exposing against Colorado. Their offensive line is awful. Awful. I mean, against Colorado State, Shador Sanders running for his life. We talk about some of these plays he's making outside the pocket. Some of that is by necessity. Some of that is because he's catching the ball. Somebody's coming either inside or around the edges, and he's having to run for his life out there. There's also some interesting, uh, uh, some interesting stats here. Uh, and we talk about, again, winning up front. It's not sexy. It's not something we talk about. We talk about the quarterbacks and the receivers and whatnot. But winning up front is huge. I just mentioned Colorado's offensive line. Their defensive line isn't particularly great. So uh, Colorado allows 2.2 yards before contact per attempt. That ranks 76th in the nation. 
Oregon, on the other hand, averages 5.9 yards before contact per attempt, ranked third in college football. So that's not a good combination for the Buffaloes. Uh, Oregon's also gaining three or more yards before contact on three, uh, 35% of attempts, which ranks 31st. Colorado is allowing three or more yards before contact on 27% of their attempts, ranked 77th. Now, Bucky Irving, uh, who's the starting running back for Oregon, is excellent. Uh, he's a great kind of yards after uh, contact guy. So, winning up front, if Colorado wants any chance to win this football game, winning up front is going to be absolutely crucial on both sides of the football. More I was thinking about this, though. Again, I think 21 is an insane spread. I, I'm just telling you right now, take Colorado plus 21. That's Take that. I'm just trying to help you win money. When Colorado played TCU... And Colorado played TCU. Um, they did get beat a lot, especially in the defensive line up front. They did give up a lot of big plays. They did give up a lot of points, 40-plus to be exact. And Shador Sanders, not just with Travis Hunter, but with the other guys I mentioned, Weaver, Horn, Edwards, made plays, threw for 500 yards. I'm not a big Bo Nix guy. Colorado's being doubted. This is fuel for Deion Sanders. I'm going to forget, close my eyes. I'm going to say with conviction, the Colorado Buffaloes get the upset. 45 to 41 over the Oregon Ducks. I uh, Throughout the week, I'm like, okay, I'll take Oregon. But I've always said, take Colorado the points. I, I, I The more I looked at it, I'm like, okay, there's a formula for Colorado to win this football game. I've seen it in the past. Again, both the offensive line and defensive line scare the crap out of me if I'm an Oregon I'm sorry if I'm a Colorado fan. It does. Oregon's gonna get a bunch of yards. Bonick's gonna have a big a huge game. The Oregon running game is gonna play well. But we saw what Shador Sanders did, albeit against Colorado State, albeit against Colorado State, albeit against Colorado State. We saw what he did in that second half, particularly late fourth quarter overtime, with no Travis Hunter. Can he do it again? Can Deion Sanders put together an excellent game plan? Can Deion Sanders have his guys ready to go, given the, the extra sort of fuel uh, that's being dumped this game in terms of them being 21-point underdogs? What I'm kind of hoping for to a certain extent is for an Oregon player to say something out of pocket or an Oregon coach to say something out of pocket. Because, listen, Oregon, Colorado did not take Colorado State that seriously. Let's be honest, last week that game would not have been close had they have done so. Colorado wins. And sets up, potentially, one of the greatest quarterback matchups in college football history. Potentially. Um, if you remember, one of, if not the best, was when Joe Burrow and Trevor Lawrence played LSU versus Clemson national title game in early 2020. It was January of 2020. It was the 2019 season. And Joe Burrow got the best of him. Joe Burrow had the greatest year that any college quarterback has ever had, in my view. Albeit Trevor Lawrence was spectacular that season as well. If we get, because USC, does, is USC, um, I think they're, I think they might be off this week because they've had pretty, they have had a pretty soft schedule thus far, albeit it's the Pac-12, uh, or although it's the Pac-12, so they'll, their schedule will, will get tougher as time goes on. Oh, I'm sorry, USC goes on the road to Arizona State, but USC's a 34.5 point road favorite. I'm pretty sure they'll take care of business. I don't know about 30 or 4.5, but they'll take care of business. If Colorado wins this football game, which I think they're going to, because we've doubted Colorado before, and they've... I shouldn't say we. Folks have doubted Colorado before, and they made people look like a bunch of idiots. We could have Shador Sanders at 4-0 versus Caleb Williams at... I guess they'd be 5-0 because they haven't had a bye week yet, right? USC is 3-0, so they'd be 4-0 as well, assuming they take care of Arizona State, which they will probably. 
Shador Sanders versus Caleb Williams. Woo! I sound like Ric Flair there. That's scary. That is as good of a college football quarterback matchup as we've seen. By the way, Lincoln Riley versus Deion Sanders. USC, and I've said, by the way, I said last week, when I didn't know if I was going to pick Colorado or not, I decided to do so, that I felt better about Colorado beating USC than Oregon just because I think they match up better up front against USC, and USC's defense, you know, is terrible. Alex Grinch is a horrendous defensive coordinator. So if you know Colorado wins, they go to that game with momentum. That's a home game, by the way, uh, and that's an early kickoff. I think like 10 a.m. kickoff in Boulder, Colorado. It's going to be on Fox uh, with, with Gus Johnson, Joel Klatt, and the call. Uh, that is going to be interesting, and I think it's going to happen. Colorado wins 45. Put up the, well, actually, I just lost the final score, but I, I remember it. 45-41, Colorado wins this football game. Shador Sanders puts up a performance that potentially, potentially, although Caleb is spectacular, puts him in first place in the Heisman running. If not, it's, it puts him in second, and it sets up one heck of a matchup next Saturday uh, noon, at least if you're on the East Coast, uh, between the Trojans and the Buffaloes. That should be fun. Okay. So again, we've went over uh, predictions in college football. The Vol view, I think Tennessee takes care of UTSA. And as far as the, I sort of predicted college football weekend as well, I got Notre Dame getting the upset at home, which is crazy to say. But Notre Dame getting the upset at home against Ohio State. Sam Hartman has a big game. And I'm going to I'm going to roll with Colorado. I'm going to roll with Colorado. They're going to get exposed up front. But Shador Sanders will not get exposed. And those receivers will not get exposed. I'm going to roll with Colorado. Now that said, got a lot of really good NFL games this weekend. Finally some, because what, what I think was kind of, at least if you are, if you're a, I'm not a gambler, but if you're a gambler, and I obviously study lines because I have my segment. If I were a betting man, um, and this is the first season in which I've tracked, hey, how how what is my record? Not in terms of just predicting the outcomes of games, but in terms of you know against the spread. You know what, what what's what's my record in that regard? And it's for those of you wondering, I am. Uh, I've got about 20 wins. I got 20 wins against the spread, so I'm doing doing solid in that regard. Uh, but. What I love about week three in the NFL this week is we have some big lines, whereas last week we really didn't. And so it was kind of hard to pick an upset of the week if I were a Batman because the lines were kind of tight. Um, but for this week's slate of games, love my picks. I want to know already. Who knows? Maybe maybe I maybe I go into Monday 14-0, chance to go 16-0. Don't, I've, my best record I ever had during a week was week two. I think it was 2020. I went 14-2. and I think I'm going to go 16-0 this week. And here's why. Let's put the background music on, the simple, simpler background music for the regular season games, and get this thing kicked off right now. Starting with one of the games this weekend that is going to be impacted by a tropical uh, tropical storm by, uh, I think I think it's called Ophelia, uh, I'm, I'm pretty sure. A little Shakespeare reference, so to speak. But you've got the Indianapolis Colts, and you've got the Baltimore Ravens. Baltimore, big favorite, favorites at home, minus 8.5. Now, for Indianapolis... Uh, you've got Anthony Richardson, who's not going to play. He's dealing, I think, I think, still with a concussion. You've got uh, Gardner Minshew coming in. We understand his track his, track uh, record as a history as uh, the starter in the Jack with the Jacksonville Jaguars. The Jaguars should be grateful to my man, the the the, the mustached jorts guy, for helping them get Trevor Lawrence in 2020. They should thank him for doing that. 
But he was the backup last year with the Philadelphia Eagles. Played well against Dallas, uh, but ended up losing the game. Did not play well against the Saints the next week. Uh, and this, it almost cost the Eagles the number one seed before Hurts came back to save the day against the Giants. But the point is, he's a solid backup. Uh, he's a guy I've consistently said for the last few years, I'd actually take him over Baker Mayfield. Uh, it's not that I, I think Baker's trash or anything. Baker's a solid backup, although he's not playing like one. He's playing like a starter. But listen, you've got... Got Gardner Minshew has a good track record, puts up some solid stats, albeit, you know, maybe not, doesn't equate to wins all the time. Uh, but he's going to have his work cut out against the Ravens defense that is missing some some starters. They're missing Marlon Humphrey. Um, but listen, would you consider what they could do on, on the front seven, what they did to Joe Burrow uh, last week? Uh, you've got Baltimore coming in this game with no Odell Beckham Jr. and their top two running backs both hurt, one obviously gone for the year. Here's the good news for Baltimore. It is, again, going to be played in likely, potentially, a monsoon. Kind of like what we saw with Chicago last year when they beat the 49ers in week one a season ago. You could kind of see that with this and a couple of other games as well that we'll get to. Um, if Indianapolis had Jonathan Taylor healthy in this game, I'd take them the points maybe to win outright. But because Baltimore, because listen, while they have Todd Munkin, while they have these weapons... They can still run the football very effectively, particularly with Lamar Jackson. I'm going to roll with the Baltimore Ravens to win this game 20-10, to 10, so not a crazy high score. I don't know what the over-under uh, in this game is, but I'm going to take Baltimore to win 20-10 to 10 to cover the 8.5-point spread uh, and to get the W to get to 3-0 and oh and retain first place in the AFC North. Speaking of a team in the AFC North, a team that is struggling mightily offensively, and I'm loving every second of it as a Steelers fan, we've got the Tennessee Titans going on the road to take on the aforementioned AFC North struggling offensive team. The Cleveland Browns. Cleveland in this game at home is a three and a half point favorite. So essentially, Vegas is saying if this was played on a on a neutral site, then the Browns are just a half point better than the Titans. So the way I view this uh, this game, and I don't believe that this game, it doesn't look like it's going to be the case, that Cleveland is going to be drastically affected by this tropical storm. It does not look to be the case. Uh, but Nick Chubb's done for the year. Good news if you're a Browns fan. They bring in Kareem Hunt, who was obviously very successful as sort of the 1B to Chubb's 1A in Cleveland. Uh, in terms of what he did running the football, he's a very capable of going for over 1,000 yards, so he knows the playbook, so good pickup by the Browns. I'm shocked that he was still a free agent, so that's a little weird. And the kid four they have is a good backup running back, so they're fine in terms of running the football. Their offensive line is still one of the best in the NFL. My concerns for Tennessee is the fact, kind of talk about going back to what we are talking about with Colorado, Tennessee's offensive line is not good. It, it, it's had its moments from time to time. It did a solid job, particularly in the second half, of protecting Ryan Tannehill, who, for the record, is playing better than Deshaun Watson as we sit here today. Um, if we talk about, if this game comes down to running the football, you could argue both sides legitimately. Tennessee has Derrick Henry, Browns have Kareem Hunt, and Ford. So both teams are fine in terms of running the football. Uh, here's what I'm concerned about, though. Here's what I'm concerned about. It's the confidence for Deshaun Watson. It's his kind of uh, uncomfortability, to, say, to so to speak, in the pocket. And Tennessee can get after the quarterback. We saw what they did last week to Justin Herbert. Remember what they did to him in the red zone of that game? Uh, late game to force a field goal, and the Titans ended up winning the game in overtime? You have that aspect of it as well. And Mike Vrabel, who's a defensive coach understands the game plan just like Mike Tomlin did to bring guys after Deshaun Watson, make him make you know, bad decisions with the football, which he's fully capable of doing as we've seen throughout the first part of this season and the six games from a year ago. 
I'm going to go with the upset. It's not my upset of the week, but I'm going to go with the upset. The Titans win this game 24-20 on the road against the Cleveland Browns. They've had an extra day to prepare. I'm rolling with Mike Vrabel. I'm rolling with excuse me, with Tennessee, and the uh, Titans win this game. Again, the Browns lost a game to a Steelers offense that literally can't score points. Can't score points. Did not. I saw the stat, and I'll get to Pittsburgh later when they play my Steelers, when they play uh, the Raiders on Sunday Night Football. It'll be my last pick of the show, obviously. But... I saw a stat that Pittsburgh did not run a single, this is mind-blowing, a single play inside of Cleveland's 30-yard line. Tennessee's got a better offense. Tennessee's got DeAndre Hopkins. Tennessee's got Derrick Henry. And Ryan Tannehill, hate him or love him, is playing solid football right now. So at least he did last week. So I'm going to go with the Titans in the upset, 24-20. to Moving on to the Denver Broncos on the road against the Miami Dolphins, one of the NFL's... Uh, the hottest teams, if not the hottest team in the NFL through this first part of the season, the young season, the Miami Dolphins, and the Denver Broncos, who are in an absolute... I, th- I think they, I said if they lost to Washington, their season would be over. They lost to Washington, albeit they got screwed on a missed pass interference call on the two-point conversion, but that's, that's neither here nor there. Now, Miami is a six-and-a-half-point favorite uh, at home. This is actually the Dolphins' first home game of the season. I'm all over the Dolphins here. Listen, I know the desperation for Russ, for Sean Payton. I think I saw a stat that Sean Payton is something like 53-30. and 30. I think I might be butchering that, but he's over 20 games, over 500 against the spread when he's an underdog. We understand that. But this is a Miami team that is rolling in hot. This is a Miami offense that seemed like it can't be stopped. And by the way, this is a Denver Broncos defense that hasn't played that well to start the season. They struggled in the second half against Vegas. They struggled badly in the second half against Washington. Albeit some some credit should go to Washington, Eric Bieniemy, and frankly Sam Howell for how he played, outplaying Russ in the second half. I could see a scenario in which this game is kind of nip and tuck tight throughout the first half of this football game. And Russ goes back into what he's been doing through the first couple games, and that's being a bad second-half quarterback. Completion percentage isn't good. Touchdown-interception ratio isn't good. Uh, pass rating is bad. I think that's going to be something the Dolphins' defense takes advantage of. The Dolphins' offense takes advantage of a Broncos' defense that's kind of reeling a little bit right now. I'm going to roll with the Miami Dolphins to get to 3-0 and and covering the 6.5-point spread, rather. 31-21 to 21 over the Denver Broncos to get the W and to retain first place in uh, the AFC East. Moving on to Bryson's Bleak Bet. It is the one game every single week that I've absolutely zero confidence in predicting. But hey, you got to predict the games every single week. I- I'm going to go ahead real quick. Uh, cut the cut the music. Cut the music just for a moment. Uh, because this game, frankly, doesn't deserve music. We'll turn it back on for the next game. So... I'm obviously a content creator on Carving It Up. I love doing it. Um, this show is... This show and y'all support means everything to me. It, Honest to God does. But one thing that I have in common with basically anybody that has a screen, TV, phone, tablet, computer, is we're all content... Uh, we all consume... We're content consumers. That's why the NFL has been so popular over the course of, uh, especially the last few years. Now the streaming's coming into the play. The NFL's ratings have been through the roof. The NFL's popularity, I think, has potentially never been higher. This game could dent that. It really could. Because we watch games, I've said for two years and carving up, is a quarterback's league. And we could potentially have the worst quarterback matchup of 2023, bar none, unless these two play again. This game in 
absent quarterback play is going to be ugly for the simple fact that the tropical storm is going to affect it. This game features Mac Jones of the New England Patriots and Zach Wilson of the New York Jets. The Patriots are two-and-a-half-point road favorites in this contest in the Meadowlands. First of all, I th I'm pretty sure my man Alfred Parso Jr. of the Grid Network is my guy. Pretty sure he's going to be there. He works for the Jets at every home game at MetLife Stadium. And I want to extend my condolences to him as well as to everybody who will either be in attendance or force themselves to watch it on their television. Because the fact of the matter is Mac Jones is... Um, it's not very good. <laughs> He's not very good. Uh, going, you know, going back to the end of his rookie year on. He's been bad quarterback, and Zach Wilson is worse. I've said Mac as a backup. I think Zach Wilson's potentially not even an NFL quarterback to begin with. Decision making terrible. The coaches want him to throw as little as possible. It's kind of a problem if you ask me. And uh, his arm strength is great, but it's kind of irrelevant when he can't throw the ball on time and on target. And he's not terribly coachable. That, combined with two excellent defenses, which the Patriots and Jets, of course, have, with two great defensive coaches in Belichick and Salah, could potentially put us in a position where we have a pretty awful football game. So again, the Patriots are two-and-a-half-point favorites uh, in this matchup. Uh, and again, th this is as bad of a quarterback matchup as we could have. We actually had this matchup in week... I guess this would have been week 11 of the 2022 season, November the 20th of 2022. The Jets went to Foxborough to play the Patriots. And the Zach Wilson, this football game, went 9 for 22 for 77 yards. Mac Jones, he had a solid completion percentage, but uh, all in all was uh, not great. Only, you know, through two, 246 yards. Struggled. And the game was decided by a walk-off punt for a touchdown. I think it was, I forgot what the kid's name was, returning for a touchdown, but the score was 3-3 three to three with basically 30 seconds left. It was a bad football game. I'll just throw up the score right now. Do we have the score? Okay, there it is. Patriots 9, Jets 6. Okay, there's no, no no need to talk about this anymore. We'll we'll go ahead and move on. Patriots 9, Jets 6, and I hope I don't have to witness a second of this football game outside of the highlights. Okay, moving on to now a more lighthearted segment and a bigger segment. It is time for my upset of the week. Give me the Washington Commanders. Over the Buffalo Bills, 19-17, to 17, and here is why. You might be asking yourself, Bryson, why the low score? Well, it is, after all, this is the third and final game, potentially, that's going to be affected by the Tropical Storm. This is a game in which Washington comes in, boasting one of the league's better offenses, with Sam Howells playing excellent football under... The new, I'm sorry, the new offensive coordinator, Eric Bieniemy, who, you know, shocker, shocker, is actually a decent coach, contrary to what I guess was once popular belief. You have Robinson uh, in the backfield, who's a solid running back. You have a good offensive line. You have Terry McLaurin. Again, I don't think the passing game is going to be a big factor in this game due to the conditions uh, outside. And I got Washington over Buffalo for the simple fact that they run the football better. Buffalo's only running game is Josh Allen, and if Buffalo's smart, they're not going to put Josh Allen in positions where he can get hurt, because Lord knows Josh Allen puts himself in enough, enough of those positions by himself. Buffalo has not had a good running game since Josh Allen's been there. They cannot develop one to save their lives. Even with James Cook, even with any of the guys they try and bring in, it doesn't work. Washington's got a good defensive line. You got Chase Young. You got Jonathan Allen. Spectacular play. By the way, back in their secondary is pretty good. 
I like Washington. 19-17. Put that final score back up. 19-17 over the Buffalo Bills. They get to 3-0. Listen, Washington could potentially be that one team. Every, well, there's always a team every year. Last year was the Giants that caught us off guard. Like, man, where the Giants come from? Washington could be that this year. Rivera is what we thought. Hey, this is kind of it for Rivera. Hey, two games in, they look solid. Particularly in the offensive side of the ball. And Rivera, we know, is a defensive mastermind. Washington in the upset of the week. Wins this game 19-17. to 17. So, of course, take Washington in the points. And to win outright. Next one. NFC matchup. Atlanta Falcons, Detroit Lions. I saw this line. I really did. I saw this line. I'm like, I almost made this my if I were a Batman game. I really almost did. Because Detroit is only a three-point favorite at home. So, Vegas is literally telling you. Atlanta, Detroit, they play in a neutral site. Evenly matched. Evenly, it'd be a pick if they were on a neutral site. That's insane, simply put, because Detroit has easily the quarterback advantage. And I don't think Jared Goff is anything to, to write home about in terms of, is he an elite quarterback in the NFL? Potentially, but I'm not quite ready to say that just yet. The weapons are probably equal because you have B. John Robinson, who's having an excellent rookie season through the first couple of games in Atlanta. Offensive lines are equal, we understand that. Here's my thing. How about coaching? How about Dan Campbell? What he's done in Detroit? What he inherited as opposed to what Arthur Smith inherited? Arthur Smith inherited playmakers. Arthur Smith inherited uh, Matt Ryan at the time. I'll be at the end of his run, but it was still Matt Ryan. Dan Campbell inherited Jared Goff, who was essentially left for dead in Detroit. Was damaged goods. Ben Johnson, offensive coordinator for the Lions as well. Not to mention the fact, everybody's talking about how great Atlanta is. We've been hearing about that all week, despite the fact that they beat two teams with limited quarterbacks, Bryce Young and and uh, Jordan Love. Where has got the Detroit Lions who had to go through Patrick Mahomes, the gauntlet that is uh, Arrowhead Stadium in September in Week One. They did the impossible and got the W in large part led to their defense, uh, led by their defense. High scoring affair against Seattle last week. Jared Goff had a bad decision, pick six. They went on to lose the game in overtime. They'll correct the errors. They're at home. They're tough to beat at home. Give me the Detroit Lions to win this football game over the Atlanta Falcons and cover, absolutely cover, the three-point spread 28-21. to Detroit gets to 2-1. The Falcons drop to 2-1. And, one. and uh, Atlanta starts to, they're sort of their descent back to earth. I know that schedule's relatively easy. This game, by any stretch of the imagination, is not one of those games. Give me Detroit 28-21. to Moving on to another NFC matchup. Uh, between another 2-0 team from the NFC South and a 1-1 team from the NFC North. It is the New Orleans Saints. It is the Green Bay Packers. And the Packers at home are a one-point favorite. So it's darn near a pick game uh, at Lambeau, which tells me, Vegas is telling you, of course, the Saints are better than Green Bay, and I concur. Listen, I know the Packers could potentially get Christian Watson and Aaron Jones back from injury, which is critical, of course. But um, what the Saints... <laughs> <laughs> what the Saints defense is doing right now. Again, I do not view Ryan Tannehill as an elite quarterback. I also do not view him in the same sense as I do Daniel Jones. I think mean, he's better than Daniel Jones. His track record shows you he's better than Daniel Jones. I mean, man got to the Titans to the number one seed with no Derrick Henry two years ago. At least for half the season. So listen, when you look at what they've been able to do, what the um, what the Saints have been able to do in terms of their running game and in terms of their defense, 
giving up under 20 points a game in both matchups against the Titans and against the Panthers on the road, divisional familiarity, and the defense still took care of business. Derek Carr looks to get, be getting more comfortable in that offense. Chris Olava, we saw that play last week on Monday Night Football against the, the Carolina Panthers. He's just a spectacular talent. As much as you can get the ball in his hands, do so, New Orleans. He's spectacular. He can make a lot of plays for you, particularly in this game against Green Bay. Listen, Green Bay was in a great position. Were they not? On the road in Atlanta, 24-12 lead. Jordan Love's looking good. They did not get a first down after they scored their final points of the game, which happened to be in the third quarter. And Atlanta's defense is good. New Orleans is better. New Orleans has a better pass rush. I'm not even sure if David Bakhtiari is going to be back for Green Bay this week. Give me the New Orleans Saints at Lambeau, 24-21. to They get to 3-0. Again, I believe the Saints are going to win the NFC South. I don't view them as a Super Bowl contender in large part because I still, I don't care what anybody says, I do not trust Dennis Allen. But that said, give me the Saints, 24-21 to over the Green Bay Packers. So, moving on to our next matchup. Divisional matchup in the AFC, the Houston Texans and the Jacksonville Jaguars. Both teams coming off of Week 2 losses. Jacksonville, an 8-point favorite at home. Uh, listen, I, I thought for a second about taking Houston with the points. Uh, but listen, this is an offense, to Houston's credit, they got going late game. But have you seen Jacksonville's defense? What they did to Kansas City last week with Kelsey coming back from from uh, from injury. What Kadarius Tony did getting involved with the football in his hands, albeit he had the fumble. Sky Moore making plays in the passing game. Mahomes, they made him struggle a little bit. Made him sweat a little bit with the pressure. Broke up some big screen plays. So listen, this is a Jacksonville Jaguars defense that concerns me a little bit, in large part due to their youth and inexperience, but they have some playmakers. Josh Allen is not that Josh Allen, not the quarterback for the Bills, Josh Allen, but the pass rusher, Josh Allen, outside. You have Trayvon Walker, who could potentially, again, he was, he was, was after all, the number one pick in the draft just a year and a half ago. He can play. Uh, that secondary led by Jenkins is really good. I think it's Rayshon Jenkins is his name, I think. Uh, Doug Peterson, of course, the offensive play caller, mass, play calling mastermind he is with Trevor Lawrence. I think that'll be a problem. Um, and listen, Houston is still kind of a building culture. Uh, so I'm going to go with the Jacksonville Jaguars to win this football game. 31-19. to I understand divisional familiarity. And frankly, I would not be shocked if the Texans end up covering. Uh, but I'm going to go Jaguars 31-19. They're kind of pissed off. A lot of people have been, been on Jacksonville for how they looked against the Kansas City Chiefs. Uh, so I'll go Jaguars 31-19 over the Houston Texans their division rival. Moving on. Last uh, early window game, and this is a big one. This is a, a do-or-die type game. I'm not going to say it's like a week three playoff game, but it's as close to a playoff game as you could possibly have in week one. Because of two 0-2 teams, two talented 0-2 teams, the Los Angeles Chargers and the Minnesota Vikings. Again, this is yet another matchup in which the home team is favored by only a point. So, again, Vegas is saying this is darn near a pick uh, in Minnesota. So, Vikings are one-point favorites um, at home. Listen, they're coming off of two really tough losses, especially the first loss of the season against the Tampa Bay Buccaneers. Uh, Kirk Cousins threw a bad red zone pick. Baker Mayfield went off on that defense in the second half. And then four days later against the Philadelphia Eagles, DeAndre Swift, Jalen Hurts gashed that defense, ran up the middle, outside, wherever they wanted. Okay, that Eagles offensive line dominated the Vikings defensive line throughout the night. Uh, I actually thought it was a more impressive win than the Eagles got credit for. Kirk Cousins played excellent, particularly in the second half, uh, but it wasn't quite enough to overcome what the defense was not able to do in terms of stopping the run. Here's the difference, though. These are the Los Angeles Chargers, after all. And Justin Herbert is, of course, a spectacular talent, as I've religiously stated for you know three and a half years on this show. And they have plenty of targets, be it Keenan Allen, be it... Mike Williams, be it 
Austin Eckler. They've got those guys, and they had them the last two weeks when they couldn't execute offensively down the stretch against Miami, couldn't execute offensively down the stretch against Tennessee, couldn't get stops late game against Miami or Tennessee. You're telling me that with an extra three days to prepare that Kevin O'Connell, Kevin O'Connell, nobody's exactly going to mistake him for Kyle Shanahan or anybody or Andy Reid, but uh, Kevin O'Connell was, after all, a guy who took over a team that couldn't win close games. Oh, he took over. All of a sudden, they won a bunch of close games. They're 0-2 this year in one-score games. I think this could be a one-score game in which they take advantage of. They take advantage of an inept, clueless Chargers coaching staff. The Vikings win this game, save their season for the time being, 28-24 in what could be the most entertaining game of the 1 o'clock window. Give me Minnesota 28-24, and my prediction is that tomorrow, it's not tomorrow, Monday, the next day, on my show, we'll be talking about Brandon Saley fired and Kellen Moore as the new interim head coach. Love it. As a a Dak Prescott guy, if Kellen Moore becomes the, oh my gosh, it becomes a head coach. Love it. And the Chargers will continue to dive. Moving on to the afternoon slate of games. The Carolina Panthers, the Seattle Seahawks. Seattle is a five-and-a-half point favorite at home. Big win for Seattle last week on the road against Detroit. Put up an excellent offensive performance. Geno Smith was amazing. Tyler Lockett, DK Metcalf. Uh, everybody got involved in the passing game. They're excellent. Uh, Carolina, on the other hand, they're 0-2. This is, you know, we talked about the NFC South as potentially the worst division of football. For what it's worth, they got three 2-0 teams. Again, for what that's worth, and you know, th- thus far my predictions, I think the Saints are going to be uh, one of those teams to get the to get a W. I do not think Atlanta's going to win, but you get what I'm saying. So, kind of a must win for Carolina. Although, listen, the expectations work crazy through the ceiling for the Panthers, given kind of the turmoil, the new head coach, new pieces, number one draft pick at, at quarterback. Uh, and speaking of which, that number one draft pick at the quarterback position, Bryce Young, is out. Uh, is dealing with, I think, an ankle injury. So. Veteran quarterback Andy Dalton steps into the mix. And I'm going to tell you right now, I'm taking Carolina and the points. That's went out right. But to win to but uh, uh, Carolina and the points. This is a team that can run the football pretty effectively. Again, the offensive line is probably worse than I gave it credit for. I don't think the receivers are bad. I don't think DJ Chark and Adam Thielen suddenly forgot how to play football. I don't think Hayden Hurst forgot how to play football. They just happened to play two really good defenses, Atlanta and New Orleans. Seattle's defense is good. Although, that's two straight games they've given up 30. I think Carolina takes advantage a little bit in the passing game. Andy Dalton more seasoned, of course, at this point than Bryce Young is. But, Seattle's a tough place to play. They'll get the running game involved. Seahawks will get their first uh, win of the season at home. I think they do so on a walk-off field goal. 26-23 to over Carolina. Seattle gets to a winning record for the first time this season. I've had Seattle making the playoffs from the, from the, from the jump. Uh, and so I'll roll with Seattle to win 26-23 over Carolina. And it is now time, ladies and gentlemen, for my favorite segment every week. It is time for... If I were a betting man, I'm looking at the Chicago Bears and the Kansas City Chiefs. And I already know what you're thinking. Whoa, Bryson. This is a 12.5 point spread. What are you talking about? I'll tell you exactly what I'm talking about. I'm talking about a Kansas City Chiefs offense that hasn't looked particularly good through the first two weeks of the season. But as I said on Monday's show, when they beat Jacksonville, only scored 17 points, the defense kind of led the way. I said, listen, if the concern for the Kansas City Chiefs is Patrick Mahomes and Andy Reid and can they get the offense right, they're in pretty good shape. Because that defense... Has a potential to potentially, has a potential to potentially, it's kind of redundant, has the potential to be one of the best defenses in the NFL, maybe top five, with Chris Jones, with a really young and talented secondary, 
Good linebacking core, albeit Nick Bolton's going to be out this week. I really like Nick Bolton. Remember, he made that big play in the Super Bowl on Jalen Hurts. That touchdown. Uh, so listen, this is going to be a situation where you got the Bears coming in 0-2. They looked completely incompetent offensively. Justin Fields is at a bad first two weeks, uh, particularly with decision-making, with holding the ball too long. Uh, that's been a problem for him from the get-go. DJ Moore, we, we saw the, the, the soundbite. I think it was Devin White, the, the Bucks linebacker, telling DJ Moore, man, they ain't using you right, man. When you used to play in Carolina, they used you right. To, uh, Chicago ain't using you right. You think there could be some turmoil in that locker room? Justin Fields... Had to clarify some comments he made in the middle of this week saying that uh, he's blaming the coaching staff for his uh, for his struggles. He didn't say that. Uh, he, he clarified it saying that it's not what it's not what it sounded like. I take accountability. A lot of turmoil in Chicago. A lot of I thought this could be a fringe playoff team. I was dead wrong. Uh, I think Kansas City's against one of the worst defenses in the NFL. By the way, if not the worst, certainly was last year. Arguably, is that this uh, this year in Chicago they made Jordan Love look like a freaking Pro Bowler. Kansas City wins big time at home in Arrowhead potentially potentially with Taylor Swift herself in attendance. Travis Kelsey said he invited her to the game. We'll see if she shows up. Maybe performs at halftime. Who knows? Maybe they forfeit when it's when it's I said 38-13 for Kansas City to cover on if my if I were a Batman segment. If Kansas City's up 38 to to nothing through three quarters, can we just forfeit the fourth and have Taylor Swift do a concert at Arrowhead? I think the fans will be receptive to it. Maybe bring Travis Kelsey out and sing uh sing uh, shake it off or something. I don't know. Okay. Uh, moving on, second to last game, you got the Dallas Cowboys going on the road to the Arizona Cardinals. Dallas, another 12.5-point favorite. This time, though, Dallas on the road, 12.5-point favorite. So, Dallas, of course, losing Trayvon Diggs, which was a brutal, brutal loss uh, for them, albeit I still think their secondary will be good, and I do not think their secondary will be in a position to get really exposed by any stretch of the imagination against a Cardinals offense that has Rondell Moore, has Zach Ertz, has some pieces, but, uh, you know, guys at Hollywood Brown as well, not guys that are just going to, you know, make plays over the top uh, consistently. I got to admit, I look at this game. Watch out, Dallas Cowboys. I know you're, in my view, the third best team in the NFL. In some eyes, the, the best team in the NFL. And you could certainly make a very compelling case for just that. The Arizona Cardinals have a guy at the quarterback position. He is no Dak Prescott. He isn't. But they have a kid. He's not really a kid. He's in year six, seven, year seven. His name is Joshua Dobbs. He just so happened to be the quarterback of my Tennessee Volunteers from 2013 to 2016. Was pretty successful there given the the uh, the limitations the coaching staff had uh, the time he was there in Knoxville. And I don't know if you've been watching, but Joshua Dobbs looked pretty good. Looked very good against the New York Giants defense at home just a week ago. Ran for a touchdown, threw for a touchdown, uh, was accurate, showed off his arm strength from time to time. This is a great Dallas defense, but um, Joshua Dobbs is a, big, is, a, is a bit better of a test than Zach Wilson. And dare I say, almost as much of a big, as big of a test as Danny Dimes, as Daniel Jones. I thought about it. I'll take the Cowboys, obviously, but I'm going to take the Cardinals in the points. Cardinals plus 12 and a half Dallas. It's kind of a look ahead game. They got Belichick and the Patriots next week. Then they got that huge game on the road against San Francisco two weeks after that. Dallas, they're kind of smelling themselves a little bit right now, albeit maybe that's tempered a little bit with the Trayvon injury. But I think Dallas, you know, maybe Dak doesn't play quite as well. And you guys know Dak, I'm a big Dak guy. But this is a Cardinals defense that can make, you know, solid quarterbacks look a little bit ordinary. I like Sam Howell. Made him look solid at times, or made him look ordinary at times. Uh, I'm going to take Arizona. Arizona the points. 
but Dallas to win. Keep the Cardinals winless, but Cowboys fans, and I know many of them, don't get mad when it gets when it's kind of tight through two and a half quarters. It's Joshua Dobbs we're talking about. It's the same Joshua Dobbs who actually had Dallas down when he was the quarterback for the Tennessee Titans week 17 of last year. Check the tape. He looked pretty good. You know, barely knowing the playbook. Played well. So that's going to be something that is going to be uh, a problem for this Cowboys defense. Dobbs can move. Watch out. Watch out. The Cardinals are 2-0 against the spread. Cardinals plus 12.5. Dallas to win outright 27-17. And finally, my team on Sunday Night Football. My Pittsburgh Steelers taking on the Las Vegas Raiders. Now, Vegas at home is a two and a half point favorite. Uh, I'm not pissed at that line, uh, given how <laughs> given how my my offense has looked uh, from the start of the season, and frankly, under Matt Canada. Again, I'm not going to put up the graphic today, but the the Steelers' offense under Matt Canada has looked simply incompetent. Uh, Kenny Pickett somehow went backwards in terms of development, and I don't think that's just a Kenny Pickett thing. He's got a good arm. Accuracy is a little bit of a problem, and that's something that he's going to have to work on. It's something he can improve on, uh, thankfully, if you're a Steelers fan like myself. But you've got George Pickens, who made a big play in the passing game last week against Cleveland, and that was really about all they did in the passing game. Because as I said earlier when I was talking about the Cleveland Browns, the Pittsburgh Steelers on Monday Night Football did not run a single play, not in the red zone, inside the Browns' 30. The good news is for Pittsburgh... Vegas' defense is, uh, well, it's suspect. They just gave up 38 points to a Buffalo Bills team that doesn't have a true number two receiver or running game. They gave up 38 points to that team. Uh, it is Sunday Night Football. It is sort of an old rivalry going back to the 70s. Steelers-Raiders, of course. The Franco Harris, God rest his soul. The Franco Harris uh, immaculate reception in the playoff game came against the Oakland Raiders at the time. And so, listen, this is a, this is a Raiders team that has a good offense. The bad news for them is not only are they playing a Pittsburgh Steelers defense that is uh, arguably the best in the NFL with T.J. Watt, Alex Highsmith, Joey Porter, Quan Alexander, etc. Even though Minka Fitzpatrick is still darn good. They ain't seen nothing like this. Give me the Pittsburgh Steelers 26-17. I think their defense will get another touchdown. Their defense is going to get another touchdown. 26 points for a second straight week for my Steelers. 26-17 over the Las Vegas Raiders. We get to 2-1. Let me tell you something. If we... Forget if we lose to Vegas. Vegas can beat us. If we lose to Vegas and our offense looks bad again, how Tomlin doesn't move on from Canada will be beyond me. But I got I got the Steelers. Got my terrible towel. Let's go, Steelers. You can't see it in the frame. There we go. Got terrible towel. Let's go. Steelers win 26-17 and get to 2-1. Get to a winning record for the first time this season. That's what I got. All right. Real quick, before we get out of here, let's look over my uh, my picks for my three segments. So, Bryson's bleak bet in what could be the tragic game of the NFL in terms of the outcome of the game. Patriots 9, Jets 6. The quarterback play will be atrocious. The defensive play will be excellent. The combination of the two combined with the elements will be a sight for very sore eyes, at least for the eyes that like watching football. Patriots 9, Jets 6 in my Bryson's bleak bet. Commanders over Jets in my upset of the week. And finally, on my If I Were a Betting Man game, take the Kansas City Chiefs to cover minus 12 and a half. I know it's a big spread, but they're playing the worst defense of football and a pretty darn sorry offense in the Chicago Bears. Kansas City 38, Bears 13. There we go. 
All right, also quickly before we get out of here as well, again, it is Grid Appreciation Week. It's coming to a close uh, today and tomorrow, of course. Again, I'll put the graphic up here. Be sure to check out all of our amazing content here on the Grid Network. We've been growing this platform. We're celebrating, celebrating a year of the Grid. Uh, again, I'm wearing the hat right now. You can get some of our merch not just grid merch, but merch from my show, from Carving It Up, from all of our other shows in the network. So definitely be sure to check that stuff out. Uh, very, very excited to see where this network continues to progress. But like I said, that's all the time we have for today's show. Thanks for everybody. Appreciate everybody stopping by as always. Uh, and catch Carving It Up Live on Monday at 6 p.m. Eastern, 3 p.m. Pacific time right here on Twitter as well as the Carving It Up YouTube channel and the Grid Network YouTube channel. Be sure to like, share, comment, and take two seconds out of your day. Help us get to 1,000 subscribers by Super Bowl uh, 58, which is February 11th. Hit that big red subscribe button. We just reached 250 the other day. We've surpassed that number since then. We're continuing to grow. So if we can get to 1,000 by the Super Bowl, that'll be awesome. Uh, maybe have a, like a giveaway or something, like a little, uh, little, little you know, little contest, something for the audience, because the audience is what gets you to, to 1,000. The audience is what makes the show work. So thank you to everybody who subscribed. If you have subscribed, tell a friend to tell a friend to do this to do the same. If you haven't, like I said, text it just a couple seconds. Hit that big red subscribe button. It helps the channel grow exponentially. And like I mentioned, please be sure to go subscribe to the Grid Network. That is G-R-Y-D, the Grid Podcast Network, right here on YouTube, as well as any and everywhere you get your podcasts, be it Apple Podcasts, Spotify, iHeartRadio, Google Podcasts, any and everywhere you get your favorite podcast. A great weekend of college football, a great weekend of the NFL. Baseball playoffs start in just a couple weeks, ladies and gentlemen. Very exciting. Even more exciting than that is that Shohei Otani's me a Red Sox. I'm letting you know that ahead of time. Let you know ahead of time. All right. See you on Monday. Can't wait to talk all football. Very exciting. Have a great weekend, y'all. Please be, uh, be sure to stay safe out there. Uh, please be sure to take care of your physical as well as your mental health and contact your local state representatives and senators to demand change for gun violence in America. We've got to stop it. Got to stop it. All right. Great weekend of NFL football and college football. Cannot wait. Have a great weekend, y'all. God bless you all. Peace out. If we don't score on the Raiders, Canada. Oh Thanks so much for watching the show on YouTube, and be sure to go click that big red subscribe button and check out the other clips and full shows from Carving It Up Live as well as our other incredible content creators here on the Grid Network.